Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On this episode of The Booze Hustle, we talk to Catherine Spears, host of Smart Mouth, a podcast about food and all the really interesting people that work around it. Catherine is a former food editor for LA Weekly and co-author of Rogue 99, which is the hot list of all of the best restaurants in LA. She's also the founder of Table Cakes Productions, which curates a really interesting cross-section of unique podcasts. And this week we talk about the challenges of being a woman in the wine and spirits world and restaurants. And I finally learned what it means to be California sober. It was a super fun chat, and I really hope you enjoy. I guess we can just jump into some stuff here. But like I was looking at your background, I was actually, um, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, but um, your Twitter bio is super cute. And it was, uh, you were food editor at LA Weekly before it all went bonkers. And I'm (laughs) dying to know what the fuck that means. (laughs) Please tell me. Okay, so I got the food editor job at LA Weekly in 2016, I want to say, like summer 2016. And this was, you know, Jonathan Gold worked there. And for anyone who's like a big consumer of food media, you probably know who he is. For anyone who's not, he's sort of like, he he passed away a few years ago um, in 2017, I think. But he is kind of like the biggest name in restaurant reviewing, at least of like our era. He really changed the game. He took it out of the sort of like snobby, fancy restaurant mold and like Mm -hmm. made it about the actual food that actual people eat in Los Angeles. And I do think Los Angeles is one of the more interesting food cities in the world. So like a lot of people pay attention to what goes on in LA food. So LA Weekly is the... I can't tell whether to use present tense or past tense right now, (laughs) but it was the city's premier alt-weekly. It's like it was the same company for a while as Village Voice in New York. So, you know, Mm -hmm. as alt-weekly goes, it was a big deal. I sort of lucked into this job um, as the food editor, which is not the same thing as being the restaurant reviewer. Like, okay, trying to figure out which order to tell this in, but basically like cutting to the end of my tenure there, this group that kept themselves secret and the owners, the prior owners, let this group keep themselves secret, um, bought LA Weekly as a consortium. And we came to find out that it was led by this guy who was involved in Russian stuff at a time where it was like, ooh, people who are like involved in <laughs> Russian stuff, like what exactly is this, like during Trump's era? Um, and then he also was a speaker or something at something called the Claremont Institute, which is this extremely right-wing think tank. He's just hugely Republican. And, you know, alt-weeklies have more of a progressive history. Mm -hmm. Um, He fired 
almost the entire editorial staff, including all the section editors, if I'm remembering correctly. And I think that I am. Yeah. So shit just got real weird there. Yeah. I mean, they let us all go. And because it was in 2017, the end of 2017, it was like, you know, after Trump is in office and people are, you know, paying more attention to what journalism does, what it can do, how these rich people are ruining journalism. Mm -hmm. They did do basically everything that we thought they would do. For instance, for a few years, they just took away the news section, just took it away. And I think that the people who started working full time at LA Weekly in that era were like, they aren't pro-Trump. They don't have any politics. And it's like, ah, no, like not writing about politics is a political choice. Right. 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that is when LA Weekly got bonkers. I will say that um, it was not the greatest experience working at LA Weekly. Um, I feel like it was kind of like the very end of an era. Like if I can count myself as part of like the golden era of LA Weekly, which a lot of people would disagree with, and that's fine. Like that would be a huge honor because I feel like it was sort of coming to an end anyway. It's a bummer that what could have happened is some rich people, the same way LA Weekly was started, is some rich people in LA could have just like taken it over mm-hmm. and been like, here's a good salary for everyone. Go do your thing. That would have been perfect. But like my salary was so low that I had to have another mm-hmm. job, which I don't know if anyone knows this, but uh, having two jobs, you're not performing 100% of either one of them. No, <laughs> no, no. Like, and, and this is like how I ended up in this in the industry that I'm in now is um, I went to school in Chicago for journalism And when I graduated, um, I think like everything I've ever done, I've also been working at a restaurant at the same time. And when I graduated, I got a job at a magazine called, um, fuck, what was the first one? Conscious (laughs) Choice, which was hilarious. A lot of um, a lot of early veganism writing. Um, And then I got a job at CS Magazine, which was fucking the worst. Um, But I was working in restaurants, making more money in a night that I was making in a week at those places. And I was like, this is such a fucking bummer. I just spent so much money for college. What yeah. am I doing? Yeah. And so I just like, I kind of just doubled down and went, was like, I'm working in the restaurant industry. I'm going to make this my career. And then, you know, you get burned the fuck out of that too. And then, you know, here I am selling booze, like, you know, years and years and years later. But um, I mean, they you know, make I, journalism unsustainable as a career. Yeah. There are some people who can make like a lot of money doing it, but that is not the experience of most journalism. So it's not even like middle class. I remember in high school interning at the Seattle Times and everyone there like owned houses and like had a car. (laughs) That's not that's not what's happening for journalists anymore. No, no. And that's why like everything is just clickbaity bullshit now, which is amazing. But then this is why I think podcasts are great because you can kind of like choose a medium to learn about things that you're specifically interested in that you can't find as readily anymore. Um, And also like for wine and spirits industry, like people that are super geeky, you can like really dig into that kind of stuff. Um, Or you can listen to some idiot like me who like says fuck a lot. And um, (laughs) saying fuck does not mean you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's true. It's a sign of intelligence. I've read that somewhere. Yeah, I believe Um, it. Well, that's cool. I I wanted to interview you because you have a really great, awesome, successful podcast called Smart Mouth. And um, I think I thought a lot about what I wanted to do with this podcast and talking to people in the wine and spirits world. Um, and really kind of, um, you know, pick your brain a bit and also talk about your experiences interviewing some of these really incredible people um, that are wine and spirit adjacent. 
I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and um, and also as your time as a food editor, you know, I think you've probably spent a lot of time looking with a really critical eye at um, the whole like holistic experience of dining out and how that can be enhanced by a beverage program or detracted by. Um, so I'd love to hear like, you know, some of your thoughts about, you know, people specifically who have nailed it over the years or oper or like just total missed opportunities in that mm -hmm. space. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of room for variation there because I think that, you know, sort of just like anybody else, some chefs care about the beverages and some don't. And I think that a lot of them in like, you know, the kind of restaurant that would have a wine program and call it a wine program, the chefs have to pretend they do. Mm -hmm. They have to pretend to know it, what they're talking about and to care about it. But who's to say that they actually do, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. And so restaurants like that tend to, you know, be part of a restaurant group that has a beverage director. So there's usually someone else. But what they say about chefs' egos is generally true. And Correct. so even if the chef doesn't know about wine, the beverage director or even just like the sommelier in the restaurant or even just the general manager, if they're doing the beverage ordering, they still have to like run everything by the chef and like have them taste it mm -hmm. and see if they like it, which what does that mean? Who knows? Just like anybody else's taste buds. Like we all have our own taste buds. There's no universal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is there like an L.A. and you talk about um, the L.A. food scene. I, I imagine you live out there. Maybe you're slightly biased because you live out there. You say it's the most interesting food city. No, that's just correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have no, uh, I have no, like, I can't say for sure. I've been to LA a bunch of times and I've eaten out there, but I cannot speak on that intelligently. So I won't say you're wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, is there anyone out there that's doing anything really cool food and beverage wise now that, um, that you want to, that you want to talk about? I've noticed that some of the Italian restaurants, um, while they still are, you know, serving Italian wines, if not exclusively, then almost entirely, mm. I feel like they're getting a little more interesting in what they choose. Like, it's not just like Northern Italian reds. Anytime mm -hmm. I see like a Sicilian wine, I'm like, ooh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, like, let's get Southern yeah. Italy in here. Let's get some mineral up in here. <laughs> Yeah. So I do think that there is, and I'm just thinking of Italian restaurants because I went to Pizzeria Mozza recently and mm -hmm. Evan Funke, I think his name is pronounced. He owns Felix and he just opened a Roman style restaurant called Mother Wolf. So of course there's interesting stuff going in on like wine choices. I I think that the emergence of the natural wine sub industry maybe we call it, mm -hmm. for whatever it's worth, it has made people, including chefs, like more cognizant of the fact that there's like more wines than they know about. Like we all know like the big three grapes or whatever, but there's so yep. much more out there and people like trying new things within like the wine category. Mm -hmm. I have this um, conversation with, you know, beverage program people, but also like in those opportunities where like a chef will be part of the conversation where you know, we're constantly, especially in the supplier winery side, trying to get people to um, shape their beverage program to match their culinary program. Um, because oftentimes they're using like really great ingredients for the food. But then like you look at the well uh, behind the bar and you're like, why are you serving that to people? Like, 
why would you spend all of this thought making this beautiful dish and then throw fucking DeKuyper watermelon, <laughs> like 1987 shit in a cocktail that sucks? Um, so, I mean, I'm, that's just being the most, most dramatic version. Of, <laughs> but, but seriously, it's like, come on, like, let's like evolve and like have those things match. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get chefs that are on board and sometimes that you're like you were saying before, they don't care. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But they should. I, think, I feel like it's scary, too, for people to like make some sort of choice because, you know, for all the various reasons as a society, we're like snobby about wine, like more than we are about like other alcohols. And I was just thinking about like opening an Italian restaurant and being like, yeah, of course, Italian wine. But then I started thinking of that movie. It's called Bottle Rock, right? Mm -hmm. With Bottle um, Shock. Bottle Shock. Thank you. Yes, yeah. Bottle Shock. Mm -hmm. And it's about a true story how they like took unlabeled California white wines to a French competition and the California yep. wines won. And France was like, oh, God, <laughs> like they couldn't live with the shame, essentially. And mm -hmm. like, what if you are like, well, I should try something new. Like maybe I should have, I don't know, wine from the Finger Lakes region, which I don't think anyone like really thinks about. <laughs> but what if you're like, no, this is just the same as bringing California wine to France in the 70s. Like there's a difference between that and like melon flavored liqueur. <laughs> but mm -hmm. sometimes people are going to try and it's not always going to work. Right. Yeah. I wonder why that. um I wonder where that like stems from that like snobbiness in the wine world um, and why we can't break that down. And like from a cultural standpoint, I am doing my best to do that because I um, I do a lot of education and I spend a lot of time talking to people who I'm like, everyone calm down. It's fucking grapes. Yeah. It's literally the, what happens is the growers and the winemakers are so down to earth and involved in this process. And then it gets like, sent into different channels and through those levels it gets more pretentious and more pretentious and it's so frustrating to me because you know the thing I love about restaurants so much is you don't find that as much with chefs you find the ego but like at the end of the day you can have a beer with the chef you know they're not like you don't feel like Ugh. Like, I'm, I, you know, I'm not at the, I mean, like famous chefs, obviously, if you're stodging in the kitchen, you're gonna be nervous, but you know what I mean? There's not that same pretension level um, right. that's pervasive in the, the, in the wine world. And it's, I'm like, I'm going to do my best. What, like, that's, it is my little piece, my little corner of the wine and spirits world. I'm trying to like demystify and get everyone to just calm down about it, be able to talk about it like a normal human being. Um, but, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a challenge. It's well, I see that happening a lot more. This is uh, one reason why I've always preferred Sonoma to Napa, two different counties right next to each other that comprise California's wine country, although some other counties are trying to like take the name too, but that's the original California wine country. And my grandparents lived in Sonoma for 25 years and just recently left. And Napa is undoubtedly the like more well-known one. It has fancier hotels, fancy restaurants, more people go there. I really prefer Sonoma because mm -hmm. how I feel about Sonoma is that it's cowboys who found out that grapes grow well there as opposed to Napa, <laughs> which is like, we are winemakers. And it's like, but in Sonoma, <laughs> they're just like, oh, my God, we found out that these grapes grow here. Let's ferment them. And I mm -hmm. really am much more comfortable with that kind of energy. Yeah. And I mean, like Sonoma produces way more wine way more wine than Napa. There's like way more sub-appellations. It's, yeah, and it's like such a diverse growing region as far as like microclimate and yeah. the things you can grow there. Um, yeah, and it's definitely not as pretentious. I 
Um, you know, obviously for my job, I spend time in Napa and um, it's bizarre. It's actually, I went out there um, this past summer uh, with some friends and we went to a few places and we kind of, um, some of the experiences were really cool and some of them were like, oh my God, like just feel like you're not wearing your chinos and you're, uh, you know, you park your helicopter on the, on the yacht and like on the front lawn. It's so obnoxious. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean, that's the thing is if you like break it down to its like smallest parts, there are so many cooler places that I think you know, to your point about like natural wine, but like the smaller regions and smaller areas that are, they're becoming more popular now, or people are having more awareness of, which I think is, um, is really great. Can we talk about natural wine for a minute? I I gotta, I gotta really ask you. Yeah. Um, controversial people can come at me if they want, but, um, natural wine is European wine in general. (laughs) (laughs) Like people talk about like organic wine in this country and like, uh, they don't realize is like, France and Italy, most of these wineries and winemakers have been doing things organically for years. And it's just, you know, now it's trendy here to say you're an organic winery. But natural wine in general, like orange wine and stuff, do you drink that? Sure, I'll drink it. I'm not purposefully seeking it out, though. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from like the food side of things, I have, I'm so aware of the fact that I feel like the average consumer does not understand that Natural is not a regulated term. Mm-hmm. Organic is a term that the government does not dispense. Private organizations that you pay at least For tens of thousands of dollars. Clean, clean Yeah, wine. clean doesn't Ugh. mean anything. It yeah. almost means nothing. Organic kind of means things, but it doesn't mean what people think. It means you are allowed to select from a particular list of pesticides. Organic does not mean pesticide-free. So I'm mm-hmm. already aware that all of these things are really just catchphrases that the marketers have allowed people to think are like regulated terms. Mm -hmm. And from a capitalist standpoint, I can't fault them for that. But most of these terms are essentially meaningless. Mm -hmm. Um, I know like from the food side of things, a lot of small farms actually cannot afford to get organic certification. So even though they don't use the pesticides that that non-organic farms do, like they can't call themselves that. So some people I've been told by farmers that like at some farmers markets, people won't shop with them because they can't say organic. But that doesn't all that means is they can't afford to pay an organization to give them a label. That's all I know. That means. Oh, oh, crazy. Um, so I understand why people are like, ooh, natural wine or organic wine or biodynamic wine um, and feel like that's better. It's not better. It's just different. Yeah. Oh God. You know, it drives me crazy. There's um a, a celebrity wine now. There's so many celebrity products. It's like exhausting. Yeah. But um, there's a celebrity wine couple women, and they have this like clean wine campaign. And I did a little bit of homework and research into the wine and where they're getting the grapes from. And I'm just like, fucking <laughs> Europe, man. <laughs> like Jesus Christ. And the crazy thing is, I think like they're sourcing some of their red from Spain from like a really you know, high volume producing area. And like, really, like, you could get a bottle of Spanish wine from these regions for like eight bucks. And it's amazing and delicious and fantastic. And their wine is like $22. And it's like, yeah, my brain, it's making my fucking brain hurt. No, it's crazy. (sighs) And I know I just said that, like, all those terms, I understand why people use them from a marketing standpoint, but clean actually offends me. Yeah, I feel like that one is like, Because saying natural is almost like a positive connotation, but saying clean to me, I think, is a negative connotation and sort of like 
Like eating clean, just the same as drinking clean. It's like just a way of punishing people for trying to get through the day. There's yeah, like, and it's clean, like Loki shitting on other people's stuff. It's yes. like, oh, don't drink that. Those are dirty wines. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that about? mean? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like this snake eating its own tail these days with like celebrity brands and celebrity wines, and uh, I mean. It's hard for the consumer because, like, the average person doesn't know as much as everybody thinks they do. And it's so confusing. And, you know, you just kind of end up liking what you like. And I don't know. It's it's hard. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wanted to ask you about some of the people you've interviewed. I... Love some of the interviews that you've done. Um, I really love that you got a chance to talk to Anthony Bourdain. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. I'm sure you get asked about that all the time. <laughs> um, but who, like, is there anyone who, like, completely intimidated you or was not what you were expecting? Well, turns out I'm not the intimidated type oh, for whatever right. reason. It's like my sociopathy i'm like i'm not afraid i don't get it you know <laughs> how people yeah you know how people are like if you're going to talk in front of an audience i do get nervous talking in front of a live audience but the whole thing about like imagine everyone in their underwear mm. my version of that is remember that everyone has had diarrhea like you cannot be afraid of a person <laughs> if you remember that <laughs> oh my god that is so true i actually you know i have the same thing like it's um it's a weird I don't get intimidated talking to people. And sometimes that's to my own detriment because uh, <laughs> I work for a big company. <laughs> sometimes people would rather I not share what I think, but, uh, you know, still I do. <laughs> Here I am. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. So, okay. Well, maybe I mean, not intimidated. Well, but with like, Anthony Bourdain, I was obviously like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out he was really nice. I think he like, 
you know, he had so many like career backgrounds that I think he was actually really sympathetic to journalists because mm-hmm. I saw him. Um, I like to think that the fact that he had a drink with me after my interview meant that I am super cool. But he was I could see him being nice to everybody, even the people from like Entertainment Weekly, which I don't think was like. I mean, I don't. I met him once. Like I know his personality, but I just like got the feeling that that wasn't like his main interest or the main mm-hmm. outlets he was like interested in talking to. But he was very kind to all the journalists, which was nice. I think he was extremely aware of like how absurdly famous he was. <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think and he, I think that probably bothered him a lot too. Yeah, yeah but it helped him be nice to people. I think because mm-hmm. he was like, okay, I understand that like most people are terrified of me, which is mm-hmm. true. There's lots of stuff that like lots of people who I guess surprise me, not always in negative ways, like um, Gail Simmons, who's one of the judges on Top Mm -hmm. Chef. Mm -hmm. She is amazing. She is such a wonderful person. And part of her being a wonderful person is that so I met with her at her publicist's office and she had clearly asked her publicist for all of my details beforehand, Mm -hmm. which I feel like this is the only time where like someone I've interviewed who's famous, who doesn't know me, has like known anything about me. And I was Hmm. like, I understand that you do this so that you can connect and it behooves you, Gail, to do this. But it's also so smart and it still is thoughtful, even if it's like for whatever end, you still took the five minutes to ask your publicist like where I worked and where I had worked before and like my background and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That was a real learning experience for me because I'm like. I know why she did this and it worked. I would die for Gail Simmons. Like, I Aww. love her unconditionally. <laughs> she seems like she'd be a good time. She seemed yeah. like she'd be fun to, like, hang and grab a beer with. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. She seemed very down to earth and cool. And, yeah, loved her. Oh, loved that's awesome. Her. Yeah. Um, one thing that's been interesting is the number of men I have interviewed who later have been found out to be perverts. Oh. And it's like, I, okay. I... Well, I have one thought on that. Either you (laughs) are like so uh, spot on random at picking perverts or there's just a lot of perverts. (laughs) It's the latter. It's definitely the latter. And I've done, I don't know, 200 to 250 episodes and like it's only a handful of known perverts. Um, Mm. But that's enough. One of them was like a wine industry person. One of them was, yeah, super fun. One of them was Mario Batali. And something that I've thought of is like, I think that in my position, I'm not a powerful person. I'm not a well-known person, but I am the host of a podcast. And who's going to give me a traumatic experience on the mic? Like, I'm just Mm -hmm. not going to experience that. Mario Batali was incredibly flirty to me. So Mm -hmm. I think he can't turn it off. I just think he gets more predatory when, you know, there's no mic, which makes sense. Mm. Well, yeah, there's no shortage of that. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, in the last year or two, like the um, the Master Psalm organization, Court of Master Psalm, that, like that big reckoning with people losing their titles and everything. It's just like, Jesus Christ, like as if we, as if women need any more challenges to, you know, reaching the level of accomplishment of their male peers. Like then it's like, you, you got to throw in the like extra, you know, layers of bullshit. Um, and it even happens in like the USBG and it's just fucking sucks. You know, it's just, yeah. can we, and like, I grew up uh, in restaurants, right. And I have, um, I have this debate with my mother and my aunt occasionally 
um, who are very progressive and liberal in their time. And you would think that they would have different thoughts about this, but their whole argument is like, you know what you're going to get if you work in a restaurant. So, and it's like, no, fuck that. Like I'm a dumbass who worked in restaurants in my twenties and didn't know any better and was just like, and I, I cringe thinking about the amount of times I went along with like the incredibly misogynist crude bullshit because I was like, I'm just trying to, you know, get along with everybody and I want better shifts and I don't want to appear to be the bitch. But now I cringe thinking about it. And now I'm like, no, hell no. In a restaurant now, you can still have a fun like camaraderie with your colleagues and not be a total fucking scumbag. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people don't know that. Like, well into my 30s, I would say I put up with stuff that was like so clearly gendered because hopefully like the girls that come after us will have more of a vocabulary to talk about this. But when you're like, oh, my boss is being such a creep to me, but I can't quite explain it because creeps like will do that. They're so good at that, at being creepy in a way that you can't like you couldn't say it in a sentence. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You're like, I yeah. don't even know how to explain what just happened. Yeah. Like, was he being weird? Was he not being weird? He kind of put his hand on me in a weird way. But like, am I just overthinking it? Well, that's the thing. And we're trained to be like, oh, I must have misunderstood. No, we like we should trust our instincts on that. We never misunderstand. But I feel uh, I don't want to say I feel bad because I think everyone's being a dumb fuck. But like, I do think a lot of older women genuinely don't know that it's not OK to be treated like that. Or they just have are so um, surly and bitter at this point that they're like, nothing's going to change. <laughs> like, get, like my aunt, she worked at the post office and she said that she complained about a guy for a long time and they made him the postmaster general. <laughs> like She's just like, well, yeah. they didn't do anything to him except make my life more miserable and give me worse shifts. And I was like, yeah, but you shouldn't just give up. You know, I don't know. Well, one thing I've noticed in the restaurant industry that is confusing to me is that um, like if you're in the industry, you're constantly surrounded by the stories the last few years of like chefs being awful people. And like thinking about Seattle, which is the town where I grew up, and there have been two big name like scandals that have been written about where these two chefs have just been like, like gross, creepy. So why is it that other restaurants like at the same level, the type of level where you would be getting and by level, I, I should say category the kind of category where you're going to get be getting a lot of media attention. Like you're going to get reviewed three months after you open. If you're chef, you have a publicist essentially. Mm -hmm. um, chefs and other restaurants that haven't been written about are still getting away with a lot of gross stuff. And it's interesting to me that they're not afraid of that. Their bosses, like the restaurant group owners will know about this and have documentation about this and not do anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm I think that that's an interesting part of it, too. It's like, wow, you you were not afraid. You mm -hmm. I don't know if this doesn't seem real to you or it's like worth the gamble because only two other chefs in your city have been brought down. I don't know what it is, but just like seeing this continue is, you know, it's the audacity again, the audacity of men. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, um, so just I don't know how much you know about like uh wholesalers in general for for wine and spirits, but it's a very male-dominated industry. Um, I worked for a wholesaler for uh, eight years before I became a supplier, and there aren't a, many, a lot of women. And the amount of, oh, well, you can't have that account. He doesn't want a woman rep. Or 
Um, or you get like in an account with a rep who, or, or with an owner who is like a little handsy or a little, right. and you're in these situations where you're literally like your check is dependent on that fucking relationship. Um, I, I went in there like a bull in a China shop, like every account that was, um, wouldn't shake my hand was a little bit creepy. Like I would leave and call my boss immediately and be like, I don't want that account. Give that account away. Guy's a piece of shit no thank you or i'd be like i'm sorry is your hand really there do you know your hand is there do you have like phantom limb syndrome or something like <laughs> like excuse me no thank you like i don't know what you think this is but it's tough and that's why there's not a lot of women in the business like for I, sure yeah like, i was gonna say i think that's so cool that like you have an outspoken personality but did that ever like you're making the choice to be like i don't want this account anymore but doesn't that affect your commission if you aren't like hell yeah they don't give you a new one that so that yep. still sucks for you even if you're like able to stand up for yourself you're still losing money yeah but my thing is i was willing to like take the pay cut in that particular instance to not deal with the bullshit because like i'm a hustler i'm like i will find somewhere else to make it up it's not worth my time and energy yeah but spend, it shouldn't like, have to be like that true like why yeah. do you have to make the concession Ugh. Yeah, well, the retail industry in general is really tough because, like, you know, especially in independent markets, um, the retailers have all the power. So they're just right. like, I don't want to buy your stuff. Get out, you know. Yeah. So it's a it's a big imbalance. But um, back to you and booze. Um, <laughs> tell me, what are you drinking these days? What do you drink? Do you drink? Do you do you cannabis? Like, what's your what are you into? Have you heard the term? This is not describing me, but have you heard the term California sober? Um. Yes. It's I don't you, get it. <laughs> it's you don't do term. anything but marijuana. So marijuana oh, cool. is still okay when you're California sober. I just think Got that's it. funny. Um, okay. My only cannabis use is like I am a terrible sleeper. So I've been like trying to find gummies that will actually knock me out. And I think I might have finally found one after like years of trial and error, which now that I've said it, it'll stop working. But mm -hmm. that's like what I need from cannabis. Um, in terms of drinking, I don't drink beer and i don't understand beer with meals because to me a beer is as filling as a meal so like having that with food i'm like oh my god it's too much i see some high west behind you my parents have lived in park city for like 10 years no shit yeah so that was it was really cool to like see high west when it was still independent um yeah good yeah for that's them. um i i i sell high west Nice, nice. Uh, it's yeah, a good yeah. one. It's a good one. It's, be, it's um, it's a really cool um, it's a really cool trip. I got to go out there when I was six months pregnant with my oldest when I still worked for the distributor, and I was like fly fishing and like um, skeet shooting with a giant belly. <laughs> I was like, listen, if I'm gonna be on the range, like oh home on the range in this damn ranch, I am doing it. I'm wearing the That's waders. Amazing. Yeah, it was I really cool. That. Really good whiskey too. But um Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. Well, California sober it up, girl. Um I No, 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 I still drink. I okay. do. <laughs> well, <laughs> not a lot of my friends do though. Like, or at least less than before. It's definitely people I feel like are is it my age? Like late 30s and more people are reckoning with like, "Ooh, I got to kind of chill on certain things whether it's like dairy or liquor you know all of the above yeah all of the above we i actually did an episode of our uh, podcast with tawny um where we talked about um non-alcoholic beverages and wellness um and we kind of explored all the you know like the resurgence of you know the non-alcoholic cocktail resurgence i don't know was it ever cool before maybe just new popularity of it maybe yeah um, i mean yeah I but it's definitely interesting I do think, because actually I was thinking about um, like 
eight years, no, longer than that, like 10, 11 years ago, where I, my boyfriend at the time took me out to a fancy restaurant for my birthday and he didn't drink. And I guess like in what I realize now is like a misguided attempt to be polite. He, he's not an alcoholic. I, I could drink in front of him and it wouldn't be a problem. I like drank one of the sodas that they had on the menu and it was expensive and it wasn't like Diet Coke or something, but for all I know, it was owned by Coca-Cola, of course. Yeah. Um, but it did not, no matter how expensive your soda pop is, it like did not rise to the level of the food that we were eating. <laughs> but I do think that the people who are making non-alcoholic drinks are thinking more in terms of like, okay, this is like a cocktail. We have to make it elegant. That, so that mm-hmm. probably, you know, 10 years later, there's that option. Which seems good. Yeah. Even though I do sometimes I think it. it's a little silly. It's like you could just pour juice and seltzer together and get, but whatever, not <laughs> not my business. Even if I think something is ridiculous, if it's not hurting anyone, I'm like, make your money, go for it. <laughs> Trick <Yeah>. us all. <laughs> oh man, there are so many not alcoholic like versions of cocktails, like spiritless spirits. There's spiritless spirits. There's ready to drinks that don't have actual liquor in them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot you can do in that space now, just from like um, marketing perspective. Now I hear about it all the time. Um, but yeah, I've actually, for this January, a lot of people do, um, like a sober January. Yeah. I've decided to dedicate my January to exploring cannabis, um, okay. and, uh, edibles. And it's been, um, it's been a, a mixed bag, <laughs> kind of learning, <laughs> learning your levels. Uh, it's been very different. Um, I, I definitely have enjoyed playing with my kids a little bit more <laughs> than, that makes sense. than previously. I'm like, wow, this isn't so bad. Um, well, tell me about a little bit about, um, Table Cakes Productions and some of your podcasts right now. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing. Yeah. So Table Cakes is the small production company that I co-own with someone who was my coworker at PBS and we independently of each other started podcasts. And then around the time that I got let go from LA Weekly, I was like, let's try and make like a go of this finance wise. Let's combine forces. So we created the production company Table Cakes. And we've got like a couple newsletters and about six or seven podcasts, I want to say right now. Um, and yeah, it's just we we want to stay small because we want to stay nimble because something that we experienced as journalists is like how a lot of the executives were afraid of embracing new things. And we're like, mm-hmm. I think that's because so many people want to feel like they have the answers and I just feel like, no, technology moves so quickly that why would you even pretend? Let's try everything and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're doing now, although we don't have the the pro and the con is that we don't have investors, which means that we don't have money to do everything that we want to do. But at the same time, we don't have that sort of like Silicon Valley tech startup need to grow as fast mm-hmm. as possible. We're just kind of like more chill than that. <laughs> yeah. No. And I, if, if anyone hasn't listened to your podcast, which I'm sure if they're listening to this one, they've probably heard yours um, because nobody's listening to this, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I wanted to say like, I really appreciate the amount of um, research and history and really thoughtfulness that goes into talking about like the specific topics on every episode. It's really, you know, when I first started listening, I was like, wow, this is a lot more in depth and educational than I was expecting it to be. So I just want to say, I, I think your podcast is awesome. And I think Thank you're great. You. Thank you. And I you. really appreciate you doing this with me. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I, I love honored. hearing that. No, I'm honored. And thank you for saying that. Because, yeah, you know how that stupid thing that our brains do where we only remember like the negative feedback? Hmm. I like read 
an Apple, a negative Apple review, like on iTunes recently. And I was just like, some people will just be mean to you by saying like, you clearly didn't. Oh, the thing that people like to say, not to me, but I've seen this everywhere is like, you clearly just like read straight from Wikipedia. Oh and I've God. gotten that like twice in the five years that I've been doing my podcast. And, but every time I'm like, no, I didn't. I did not. <laughs> I do so much work. <laughs> I know. It's apparent that you do a lot of work. And Thank it, you. obviously, like, I don't know. People are such dumbasses. Just keep your stupid fucking opinions to yourself. Listen, if you're listening to this and you don't like it, you're the idiot who just listened to it. Okay. <laughs> you could have been doing something else with your time. Go find something else to do. That's so true. That's so true. I don't know why I immediately went negative. This is why I'm still on antidepressants. I should say, (laughs) thank you so much for saying that. That's always so nice to hear. No, of course. And um, (laughs) and then hopefully, uh, you know, in the future we can check in again. And um, I really appreciate you you being on the pod. And uh, yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.